You're listening to Passions and Prologues, a literary podcast where each week I interview an author about a thing they love and how it inspires their work. I'm your host, Adam Sokol, and today's guest is Paige Toon. Paige's new book, Only Love Can Hurt Like This, is out in both the UK and the United States now. Paige is an internationally best-selling author whose books have sold millions of copies all around the world. And while we do get into that in this discussion, the first thing we talk about is her joy of going on road trips to see bands all across the UK. We open with a discussion about uh, her last few trips going to the Netherlands, and it is super fascinating to hear her talk about it. I actually recently just got back from the UK, so it was nice to hear someone talking again about all of the wonderful things that that area of the world has to offer. It was a total joy. I'm a huge live music fan as well. And so it was fun to hear about all the different bands she's got to see in the different venues and, and just basically how her and her partner got into this concept, why they love doing it and what their travel process tends to look like. In honor of Paige's discussion about traveling and music, I wanted to give you a book recommendation that is somewhat adjacent to that idea. It is about music, but it's also a little spooky. I will say Paige's books definitely are not. Paige's books are fantastic rom-coms and you're going to love them, but I am in full pre-spooky season mode. So I want to talk about briefly, We Sold Our Souls by Grady Hendrix. It is a delightful book that came out in 2018, I believe, right around the fall time. And our main character's name is Chris. She's a downtrodden woman who is kind of struggling to get by by working at a Best Western. She used to be a guitarist in a very popular heavy metal band. Uh, They were growing in popularity until their lead singer decided to become a solo artist. The solo artist makes it huge, but what ends up happening is Chris ends up finding out that the lead singer, Terry, sold his soul for success. And so basically, Chris is like, I have nothing left to lose. So she goes on a road trip to Las Vegas to confront Terry. And it's written by Grady Hendrix. So as you can imagine, there's a lot of spooky things that happen along the way. There's lots of fantastical horror demons, all sorts of, of creepy, crazy stuff that goes on. Really, really loved it. It was actually the first book by Grady Hendrix that I ever read, and I've since read just about everything he will put to print. So if you are a fan of Grady Hendrix, I think you'll really like it. It is absolutely a left turn from Paige's writing, but like I said, I'm in spooky season mode now, and we're in the middle of July. That's just the way my brain works, and it's got a little bit to do with music, so there's a connection there. As always, if you want to reach me, you can find me on TikTok and Instagram at Passions and Prologues. You can also shoot me an email anytime you like at passionsandprologues at gmail.com. I appreciate all of you who have been doing that over the past couple of months. As I always say, if you want to send me the things you are passionate about, I randomly send a bookshop.org gift card to one listener every single month for just reaching out, connecting. I really appreciate it. It's The reason I do this podcast is to talk to authors and to get to connect with readers and do book recommendations. So it means the world to me when you all reach out. Also, if you want to give me a rating or review, you can always do that wherever you're listening to your podcasts. I know every podcaster asks for those things, but it really does help people find us just a little bit more easily. 
But yeah, basically, I really, really appreciate hearing from all of you. I appreciate you listening. It really means so much to me that you listen in every week and, and get some book recommendations from me. So, okay. I am going to turn over this conversation to my discussion with Paige Toon, author of Only Love Can Hurt Like This, on Passions and Prologues. Hey nerds, I'm Sarah, the Paper Nerd, and if you've ever wondered what goes into that greeting card you just sent or received, well, quite a lot. Get your paper fix on the paper fold where I host an enchanting mix of personalities and players all nerding out on my favorite topic, stationery. From the designs of our snail mail communications to the precious space created when two people correspond, there's a lot to cover. So come grab a seat in the stationery community's only five-star paper salon, The Paper Fold, now part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. Okay, Paige, what is something you are super passionate about that we're going to be discussing today? One of my favorite things to do is to drive to Europe from the UK and go and see bands in European locations. This is okay. This is so <laughs> uh, I have already like 50 questions out of this. Okay, so first things first, I, I am an American. I live in Cleveland, Ohio. So I know that you have lived in, in these states as well. And so the states and the UK are vastly different different in the sense that like it could take me a whole day to drive anywhere of consequence from where I am. So for starters, like where are some of the places that you you like to go drive? And then we'll get into the specific bands and stuff. But kind of like take me through the process. Where do you like to find um, these bands? Okay. So the last two bands I've been to see have both been in the Netherlands, but in two different um two different cities. Went to Utrecht back in November to see Woodkid which was just amazing. It was the most, he's so incredible live. And then we went to see Wolf Alice, which is one of my absolute favorite bands. And we went to Nijmegen, which is a city that I'd never really heard of until we went there. But the joy of getting to go and see them in these smaller cities, you know, for a start, it's lovely to kind of like go and, and hang out with fellow Europeans, you know, mm -hmm. and, you know, just go out with a different crowd. Um, but also, you know, you get to go and see bands that would like sell out major venues in the UK and, you know, get to see them in smaller venues. So another one of my absolute favorites was Catfish in the Bottomland, where we saw her in Amsterdam. So, okay, so here we go. It's a lot of Netherlands driving. So first off, how how far, because I, again, I am a uh, woefully uninformed American. How far of the drive for you is it from where you're at in the UK to, let's say, to the Netherlands, for example? So it tends to sort of, it, it can be about eight hours from where I leave home, you know, because it, it's a couple of hours to drive down to, to the Eurostar you know, the Euro tunnel and um and get across to, to Europe to France. And then yeah, and then it's just it, it it kind of depends on traffic. And quite often we go and see them on a Friday and then you end up stuck in sort of Friday evening traffic and only just making it in time for a quick drink before this is my husband and I, we do this together. But yeah, it was just absolute favorite thing. So when did you discover this was something because eight hours, like that is I have um in the not too distant past like in the last few months I, I've driven like three hours both ways in a day to go see various bands that I love and like even that was kind of pushing a little bit when it's like you know two in the morning and you're still driving you're like oh my okay it was a great concert but boy am I exhausted so so when did you just like when did you guys decide this was something you wanted to do to see these bands that you love so much 
So I think it might have been, I think it started with the Wombats, who we were like, you know, I was just loving their music at the time. I remember writing some books, just listening to their second album and, mm-hmm. you know, just loving almost every single song on the album, which is quite rare, I think, you know, to find yeah. a band that you, you love every song. And I think it might have been approaching, you know, one of my, like a big birthday. And I said to my husband, oh, they're, you know, they're playing in in Amsterdam. And um, and he just decided that he'd take me there for my birthday, you know, and we'd go and like have a mini break and, you know, his, his parents looked after our kids and, you know, that was really, really fun. And then, yeah, just to sort of go, I think it's really, like, we love doing mini breaks in Europe anyway, you know, like we sort of trying to, trying to get over there and, and, um, you know, sort of see different, different cultures. But um, yeah, it's just such a fun thing to do. So is that kind of, is that like sort of like eight hours? Is that as, as far as you've gone or have you driven further than that to, to see bands? I think that's probably about the longest that we've ever done. <laughs> but we've also like just, you know, I've we've been, been to Copenhagen in Sweden, you know, and, you know, just, that's just, that's flying there. You have to jump on a plane to go and do that sort of thing. In fact, I think the first time we went to, the, to Amsterdam, we did fly and see them. But now I just, I really love long car journeys. I think it's since we got a camper van mm. as well. We don't go in the camper van necessarily, like we have done that too. But, um, you know, it just, when you're in that mindset that you're going and traveling and, you know, seeing all these amazing sites and just taking your time to get there, mm-hmm. it's just something I've really started enjoying more in later years. Whereas when I was younger, I was just, it was all about just getting there. You know, the, the holiday starts once, you, once you're actually there, you know, but now we'll kind of like take the scenic route. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, I, I love this so much because I, where I live and I like to joke, Ohio is like three cities in corn. Like it's, it's not true, but it's not, it's not not true. It's the, I live in Cleveland, Ohio, there's Columbus and Cincinnati, and then the rest of it is just a big giant cornfield. And then depending on where in the Midwest I wanted to travel, it's mostly corn. I'm seeing mostly corn for like four hours in any direction. And so to me, I have to go pretty far to to see different examples of different culture. You know, I can stop in small cities and things like that. But for you, I have to imagine like, because the traveling around Europe, there's everything is so close by comparison for me anyway. Are, I, I have to imagine you are truly seeing like different cultures and like and different locations in a relatively short time frame. Is that right? That is the most incredible thing is, you know, that you can literally like drive for a couple of hours and be in another country. And then everyone's, I mean, I just find Europe absolutely astonishing that everywhere you go, you know, there's, you just cross over a boundary and, you know, suddenly everybody's speaking a different language, you know, the <laughs> architecture's different, you know, or the food is different. It's just insane, you know, to just be driving like a hundred meters across a border and suddenly everything is different. I remember, you know, for, for our honeymoon, my husband and I, we did like this, this drive, we went, you know, started off in Austria and kind of like did like a drive across Germany and we touched into Switzerland and, you know, sort of went to a few different places. And, um, and it's just, it is honestly just nuts to cross over a river and suddenly the houses look different. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's just, it's exciting. It's, I love Europe. I love this so much. So what is the best concert you would say you guys have seen? Let's just say like in recent memory, asking someone their favorite concert ever is impossible. But like in recent memory, what is the, the best show you guys have, have oh. traveled to? I think I think my favorite actually was Catfish and the Bottleman. That was just mm-hmm. in Amsterdam was just so so good. You know, like the energy. Amsterdam's a great place to go and see a concert. They're they're like a more toned down UK, but still really go for it. You know, you'll still get like a bit of a mosh pit, and you know, um, God knows why I like a mosh pit at my age, but 
<laughs> I'll sort of be right there at the front, you know, jumping up and down and singing along with everyone else. But in the UK, like that would have just been a crazy concert. Like for a start, mm-hmm. they sell out stadiums. And we saw yeah. them at a venue that was about 5,000 big, you know, mm-hmm. so difference between that and 10,000, you know, not 10,000, no, more, more than that. It was a really small venue. So it was just really exciting to be quite close to the stage and, you know, able to see their faces. There's no need for big screens because it was, you mm-hmm. know, small sort of place. And yeah, they were they were brilliant. They had a really, really good energy and, and the crowd was just fantastic because a lot of it's down to that. Nijmegen crowd was very sedate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so the, the seeing Wolf Alice was fantastic, but the crowd was sort of quite, you know, they just wanted to <laughs> listen to the music, you know, uh-huh. there was the, and for long and, you know, singing. <laughs> it's so interesting you say that because I'm thinking back to like all these different concerts I've seen in my life. Like there's one that definitely stands out to me. There is here in Ohio, there is or it's in Cleveland where I live, there is a, the Cleveland Orchestra is, is one of the better orchestras in the world. It's actually quite world renowned. And so they have a beautiful like orchestra house where they, they play and I saw Ben Folds, who's like a piano player, and he had this band called Ben Folds Five, which was very much like an early '90s, mid '90s band. Yeah, but like his, in addition to writing and singing these, you know, kind of like angsty songs, he is a like classically trained, like piano player to the point where he actually works. He plays with orchestras. Like I think he actually played with the Sydney Orchestra, and like, wow. so he did a show with just him at this orchestra house, and like it has always stuck with me. My brother and I went. Really, I was really young at the time. And it was just like him basically just like walked out. He's like, This is weird. I'm a pop singer and I'm standing in this area. But like it was very mellow and like people were kind of like sitting on couches and stuff. But I still remember it to this day because of the unique setting. So was there, have there been any shows for you where it's like, you know, I know sometimes bands will play like Glenn Hansard, he's played in like cathedrals and churches and stuff. Like, has there been any settings like that where you've like just been kind of, like gobsmacked by where you were seeing this band? Not really. Like I haven't seen bands in incredible settings, but you just reminded me of, you know, I went to go and see a um, a screening of Romeo and Juliet, the Baz Luhrmann one in mm. this incredible setting. It's called Union Church and it's inside this church and they had like live gospel singers, you know, and it was just, that was absolutely stunning. And it's just reminded me that, you know, Wolf Alice did like this recording in the same church, you know, and just the mm. acoustics and they're so incredible. So I've never seen a band in that setting, but oh God, I'd love to. Yeah, there's a place here in Cleveland. It's called Nautica. It's an outdoor venue and it happens to be right on the Cuyahoga River, which is kind of the main river we have that flows into Lake Erie. And there's something very surreal about it because every once in a while you'll be watching a band there and like a giant freighter will kind of go behind them. And so you're watching this band, there's a huge freighter behind them. And then there's like the city behind that. And it's, I do always find myself getting excited about venues and wondering what they're going to look like. And I mean, I have to imagine, even if you've never seen, like like you said, a, a band in a cathedral or like a, a, specific, you know, a specific place, like I have to imagine the breadth of places you're seeing bands. Like it has to be pretty cool to see just these different venues, right? Absolutely, yeah. You were just reminding me of this a theatre that is on a clifftop in Cornwall called the Minack Theatre. And they do plays and things there, but oh my God, that would be the most incredible place to see a band play. You know, just like imagining like the beautiful, the colours of the sea down in Cornwall are just so stunning, you know, so just the idea of looking out there at this, yeah, gorgeous setting. I'd love to see that. So speaking of setting and like all the different places you guys have travelled, a lot of like some of the questions I like to ask authors when they're talking about things they're passionate about, it's like, if 
slash how it inspires their work. And so how would you say all these traveling to see these different musicians, has it inspired the way that you write your stories, whether it's different settings or different types of people? Like, would you say that any of this is sort of baked into the way that you write? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I love to set my books and I've always set them in, you know, different locations around the world. And so, you know, if ever I'm going to a new place and I often write it in, like I remember going to Amsterdam and writing it into my book, The Minute I Saw You, you know, just because I'd been there and I wanted to talk about, you know, the canals and, you know, have him live in the, in like a studio sort of apartment mm-hmm. and, and stuff like that. So definitely like travel for me is a really big thing for, I mean, it's, it's, it's a hobby, but it's also, you know, I love to incorporate real places into my books. Mm-hmm. But it's, you know, it, to be able to write from experience and to write like what you're seeing and imagine that your heroine or, you know, one of your main characters is actually sitting in that situation and, and experiencing the same thing. I try to incorporate that as much as I possibly can. And then I write to music, you know, like music is really, really important to me too. You know, like I know a lot of authors can't write when they're listening to anything, you know, they have to be, whereas I will kind of like find playlists and, you know, sort of put together playlists that inspire me and, you know, have like an emotional playlist that I'm playing when I'm writing like a really sad section or, you know, something like that or an upbeat playlist because they've gone to a bar, you know, and I'm kind of mm-hmm. wanting to imagine the sort of music that might be playing on the stereo. So I always incorporate music into my books. Well, so here's an important question about this because I, I like, I, I also write to music and I've had lots of people tell me they do the same, but here's an important question about that. Are you able to listen to music that has lyrics while you're writing? Because I have to do like instrumental music or else I find myself listening to the lyrics and being like, oh, I kind of want to write about that instead. Like, do you, are you able to dissociate those two things? Sometimes, like, yeah, I mean, I do listen to lyrics. Like, you know, I do listen to all of my songs. I don't listen to any instrumental only songs. Sometimes it will be too invasive and I might have to switch it off or I might have to switch it to, you know, a different type of artist, you know, who you know, isn't so strong with their lyrics, you know. I've got like what I called like a chilled writing playlist, which has kind of got things like Birdie and, you know, it does have like Taylor Swift and Lana Del Rey that like they write incredible lyrics, but there's just something about some of their music that, you know, I can kind of, you know, just lose myself in the sound of it, you know. Mm-hmm. But then lyrics sometimes really inspire me. And in fact, you know, like Only Love Can Hurt Like This, you know, that's inspired by the song by Paloma Faith, you know, the, the actual title came from the song. And I just remember, you know, that song was on my writing playlist. I listened to it, you know, occasionally. And a couple of years ago, I just thought that that would make a brilliant title for a book. And it's the sort of book that I write, you know, like I write emotional love stories. They're not like lighthearted rom-coms, you know, they're more sort of layered and, you know, have a lot more depth to them. And so so I thought, oh, yeah, you know, because I I write about love hurting in all of my novels, but this (laughs) one in particular, (laughs) it sort of, it definitely sort of filters in. Yeah, I I would would love it if you could kind of, dig a little bit deeper in that because I know exactly what you mean. There are some specific songs for me. Like there's a an Iron and Wine song called Upward Over the Mountain, which is like just such a sad song. And he's like singing to his mom, basically being like, remember all these things that used to happen when I was younger? And like, I keep thinking I want to write a story that's connected to it, but it's just so brutally sad that no, my mom who listens to this would be like, uh, Adam, you okay? What's going on? But, you know, can you kind of dig a little bit deeper into maybe how that song sort of inspired if not just the title like what aspects of this story you know kind of came to be maybe because of listening to it sure I just had to write down that title of that song so I can go because <laughs> I love songs that make me feel yeah so when I came up with the idea for the book I think I I'd, at, by that point I'd already had this idea for this kind of 
this twist, this earth-shattering secret that is the reason why my two characters can't be apart. Like I love a forbidden love story or a mm. love story. You know, those are my absolute favorites. And so, you know, in this in this book, Ren meets Anders. There's, you know, definitely chemistry there and she really fancies him, but he's keeping her at arm's length and he's still grieving, you know, the loss of his wife four and a half years ago. And so, you know, there's this whole sort of push and pull thing there. And then you find out the real reason why he's been keeping her at arm's length. And, you know, that's like this kind of really emotional, heartbreaking, you know, sort of impossible situation that they need to get through. But with the title, I just had, you know, I had this title in my head the whole time. And, you know, and it feeds through with the Wren's, you know, situations, my main character, you know, like the opening few pages are her witnessing the moment that her fiance realizes that he's in love with somebody else. So that's very, very painful and really heartbreaking. And then she goes three months later, you know, we pick up with her again and she's on her way to Indiana to spend time with her dad. And her dad left her mother and Ren when, you know, Ren was only about five, six years old because he was having an affair and got this other woman pregnant. And, um, you know, so Ren has a sort of a half sister and a stepmom who live in America and she hardly sees her dad, maybe just a couple of weeks a year. And so he doesn't really know her that well and she doesn't really know him. And so that relationship, you know, was also, you know, a cause of pain, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and the way that she kind of gets to know her family over the course of the novel. And and then, you know, my main male character, Anders, he has an older brother, Jonas, who is a farmer and um, and he's struggling with his mental health, which is really common with farmers um, as a profession. And, and you know, he's Anders comes home to spend the summer kind of with his brother because he cares so much about his brother and and then there's this whole sort of, you know, secret that, you know, that Anders has. And he's so duty bound and so honor bound, you know, that um, that again has put him in a really, really difficult position. And it's all, you know, related to love. And, you know, so, yeah, only love can hurt like this. So is it could not be more an, a more apt title, <laughs> I don't think, for any of my books. <laughs> yeah. So obviously, like you said, there, there's so much emotion in this story and there's so much going on and there's so much love and hurt and all these different like aspects of like what happens when you truly truly care about someone like it's how you're able it's it's what enables you to be so vulnerable with them and I'm curious for you because I know personally like music depending on like it's incredible how music can so influence our mood like I can be very sad and this like a very upbeat song and all of a sudden I feel a little bit better but when I'm writing I find that if I'm writing something very emotional it tends to like sit on my heart for a long time. So as someone who is writing love stories that you know have to have aspects that can be very like painful, do, do these things stick with you the same way that like music does? Or are you able to kind of close the laptop and say, okay, onto, onto something else for the day? No, they stick with me. I mean, it, mm. I do have to, to a certain point, you know, shut them out. When I go back inside, I work from the cab van at the end of my garden and, you know, and, but when I come in, I'm mum again, you know, so... Mm. But it's, it's hard, you know, sometimes I will feel a bit melancholic because it's still, you know, I'm thinking about the story and, and I find it hard to go back to the places that I've written about without thinking about the story and like living the story again and some of the more, more heartfelt moments that take place there. And like the book that I've just written, which will come out next year, you know, is set in Cornwall and, you know, I've written this, it's like an epic love story that takes place over several years and, you know, it's two love stories and, and just... That was so painful and so emotional to write. Like there's this whole, you know, when you're writing about, it's a love triangle effectively. So someone's going to get hurt, you know. 
And there's just so many levels of depth to that one that it just absolutely broke my heart. And I'm going back to this place in Cornwall in October and I know I'm going to find it quite hard to be there because I'm going to be feeling like my characters are there. You know, they, they feel so real to me. Like I'm inside their head living what they're living and experiencing all of those emotions with them. Like I bawl my eyes out when I'm writing. You know, if I'm writing a sad, you know, sad sort of moment or a sad, you know, scene, I'm literally there like with dozens of tissues sort of sobbing my heart out, you know, and just feeling everything, you know. But that's what I love about writing. You know, it takes me on this journey, this emotional journey. It's so, it's you know, I guess it's quite cathartic. <laughs> I, you took the word right out of my mouth. That's the word I always talk about is catharsis for things. But like, I, the reason I, I asked if it's able to stick with you, for people who may not realize, like, you have been basically releasing like a book a year since like the early 2000s, right? Like you've, you are kind of a machine at this point where it's like, okay, you're going to have a book come out and like, and, you know, the, these stories that you write, like you said, there's so much emotion in them. And I'm just like, I'm, I, I just am so not only like impressed, but just like curious as a person who struggles with mental health and talks to my therapist all the time. Like, I have to imagine it can be a little challenging to like feel not only the emotions of the stories you're writing, but like the pressure to have a new one out every single year. Like, is that something that you wrestle with or is it, does it help for you to be able to write and like release a story every single year, kind of like clockwork like that. I have to say, like, I mean, I love writing. Like I absolutely, I feel like the luckiest person in the world to be doing the job that I'm doing because I absolutely love getting lost in the story. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, I tend to write my books very quickly. You know, I have like a, a, I sort of start writing in the autumn. I don't even start writing until three months before my deadline. Like I won't, I won't kind of like start writing. So the rest of the the other nine months of the year, you know, I'm doing research. I'm just thinking about it. I'm editing the book that I've just written, you know. And so I have to let that book go first before I can start thinking about my next one. And so I've just written really, really emotional book, which comes out next year. And I'm still in the editing process with that. And I can't fully engage yet with the book that I'm going to start writing in September because I'm still you know, too caught up in the in the one before. But it'll happen this summer. Like this summer, I just have now I just kind of trust in the process. You know, I don't mm. try and, you know, I don't try and write a book over a course of the year because I just, I'd feel depressed. You know, I really would yeah. be quite blue if I just was, if it wasn't feeling it. And then, you know, I, but I tend to write and I do a load of research for my novels yeah. and that's when the story will kind of, basically by the time I come to write it, it's really clear inside my head. And the first 20 to 40,000 every word, you know, I have to think about most of the words that come out. But from 40,000 onwards, like in that last month, it just flies out of me, you know, like you cannot keep me away from my computer. It's just, you know, I'm just, it's just about getting it out, you know, and it's all structured already. You know, I know how it's going to end and, you know, what's going to happen. And yeah, so I guess kind of writing quick like that, but also, you know, like, especially like I say with this last one, I've written this really emotional. I wrote most of it in the last two weeks because, and I think it was because I knew that the pain was going to come. And so to, I was so immersed. I was like waking up at 2.30 in the morning and like sitting down working by three, you know, and sometimes going to bed at midnight for two weeks. And that's just not sustainable over any length of time. But I think that's, you know, so I do, I write quickly, but I'm immersed for a short amount of time and then I'm fully mm-hmm. in it, you know. And then I hope that that comes off, you know, when the readers are reading it, they can kind of like be fully in it for those couple of days. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, so logically what you just described is your process makes a lot of sense. And from a logical standpoint, like, okay, and you're doing all this research, you're cleaning up the other book, and you kind of clear your mind and write the next one. But as someone who also writes 
that is an incredible process to sustain. Like that is truly amazing that you're able to do that every single year. And wow, I this isn't even a question. I'm just blown away that you're able to <laughs> like that you're able to sustain that. That is really like. Do you have to? You mentioned like, you know, you you do a ton of research, and then you said kind of like this summer you'll sort of. I guess flip the switch when we're you know you know kind of stop thinking about this and and just sort of look to the new story that you're going to write. But like, I have you have to I have to imagine you at least give yourself some time away from thinking about words all the time, right? Like you have to take some time off where you're not thinking about one versus the other. Or am I totally off base there? Yeah, no, you're right because you know like when my kids are at home, I'm I am mum. You know, yeah. like I'm a really hands on mum. You know, like I you know. And I also find that I can't write in the summer. Like I can't, my head just feels really foggy, you know, even go back to school and like doing exams and stuff, you know, like I just, my brain just feels like cotton wool, you know, it's too, I don't cope well. I only really sort of function in like cooler weather for some reason. And so in the summer, like this summer, I'll just be publicizing Only Love Can Hurt Like This. And then I'll focus on my research because that's something that you don't have to think too hard about. And then I'll have the six weeks of the school holidays off and I'll just be going on a holiday with my family. And, you know, we're, my husband and I are actually driving down to Portugal and that's going to take us, my parents are flying the kids down. And so we're going to just take like four or five days just driving down. Mm. And I often come up with ideas on long car journeys when all I'm doing, or I come up with ideas when I'm walking. I'm out walking and I'm listening to music and just give your brain that headspace where you're not mm. doing anything other than just sitting there and letting your mind wander you know, and it might just be processing boring things that have happened during the day. But after a while, you know, it will start coming, you know, coming back to ideas. And I'm, I imagine I'll come up with the idea, the full, if I fully formed idea sometime this summer. If I don't, then we're in trouble. <laughs> I, feel, I feel like at this point, you have enough experience that you do know it will come to you. But I, I am always, I'm always curious as to like why writers pick a specific genre that they love to write in. So clearly you love writing love stories and books that are filled with emotions and these relationships and things like only love can hurt like this. Like what was it that initially drew you to writing these types of stories? Like, you know, what brought you joy in these types of stories? When I was a kid, it's weird, you know, because when I was little, I've always wanted to write. Like I've always written stories ever since I can remember. And I remember that the very first job I ever wanted to be was an author. So it's sort of, it's always been there. But when I was really young, I used to write, I used to write stories that had sad endings, you know, like all the time, like it was weird, you know, and, and, I, and I kind of, I think I did it mostly just to sort of, you know, shock adults. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Because adults would just think it was all going to be light and fairies, you know, and mm-hmm. stuff like that. I'd kind of like, you know, and then the books that I really love reading are romances and love stories. You know, I love, you know, I do like a happy ever after, but I also like it sometimes when it's a bit bittersweet and, you know, you, you know, you don't necessarily get the predictable ending. And, and so those are the books that I love to write and, you know, and, and read. And I think for me, you know, falling in love is like the most enjoyable emotion you can have. And I can't fall in love anymore. I'm very happily married (laughs) with a really nice husband. So I'm not, I can't fall in love anymore. You know, like I did all, I had all of my crushes when I was a teenager, you know, but, you know, I used to love sort of that feeling of having a crush on someone and sort of feeling butterflies and, you know, kind of like sensing chemistry and stuff. And so now I get to live vicariously through my characters. Like I literally every year I'm falling in love with another character. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
and he doesn't exist. So it's okay. I'm not doing anything wrong. But you know, it does, it does kind of amaze me when I think about it. Like twenty books, and some of them have got more than one male love interest. Who you know, it really could have gone either way. You know, certainly like the book that comes out next year, like there are two very, very strong male love interests, you know. Yeah. And I just fell completely head over heels with both of them. (laughs) So it is super fun getting to live vicariously. But, you know, I guess if I wanted to feel, if I wanted to feel terrified out of my brain, then I'd be writing thrillers. (laughs) But, you know, what I really love to feel are all the emotions that come with falling in love and the hurt that comes with it, you know, the, the way you sort of, ache you know yeah and so I love to capture those emotions through my writing I feel like I'm also gaining more insight into why you you know you write something so quickly and then spend kind of like the rest of the year decompressing editing thinking about the next thing because it's almost like you're there's gonna be a sad way of saying it so I'm sorry but it's almost like you're breaking up with these characters after you've like written the first but you're also right you know like absolutely you know like it's actually quite hard to let them go you know like I do have to and there have been times, you know, like I wrote a book called Five Years From Now, um, which actually my publisher Penguin in America have taken it on some of my backlist titles now. So, yeah. you know, my books are available in America now, which is cool. But Five Years From Now, like that was the most heartbreaking love story that I've ever written and probably will ever write. It's sort of told over so many years and it's just, you know, I, I, I don't want to ruin it just in case anyone goes on to read it, but... It absolutely broke my heart. And I found it very, very hard to write the next book. You know, it took a long time before I was ready to start writing the next book. And that was one of the harder books that I that I have written because I was still so caught up in the characters from five years from now. So I'm slightly worried that's going to happen with the book that I need to write. (laughs) Oh, man. The one I've just finished, I think, is my favorite book I've ever written. You know, and and I'm so invested in them, you know. So I just have to, I have got to shut the door on them, you know, in like a month or so when I've, when I finish my edits and then just focus on the next one because uh, I'll fall in love with him too, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's so funny. So um, I always love to end our conversations by having the author give kind of a, a recommendation of any kind. It can be a book recommendation. I've had people recommend uh, clothing that they like. I've had people recommend TV shows. I've had people recommend protein powder that they like to use uh, it can be anything just something that you want to recommend that, that you really love that you think more people should know about i will recommend um oh that's a really good question there are so many things that i would like to recommend you know what? i'm going to recommend an actress <laughs> yeah <laughs> there's this actress called lily may i think is her name um oh oh actually it might be isabel may and she is in yellowstone the earlier one i think mm-hmm. it's 1986. I'm, this is not a very good recommendation, is it? I'm not even sure I've got her name right. I remember watching this sort of this series, Yellowstone, and she is an actress who feels it all. And that's kind of like, that's the tagline I use for my books, you know, feel it all because, yeah. you know, I'm living along with my characters and feeling all of the emotions and watching her. So one day my dream is have a book out that gets turned into a film and have her star <laughs> because I yeah. think she'd be a really great fit. So yeah, I'm recommending Yellowstone, 1986, and this character in particular. <laughs> I love that. I'm going to make you do one more. What is an album by a band that you you really loved like this year? So just uh, just to bring us full circle, what's the uh, what's the music that you really liked this year? I would definitely recommend Wolf Alice's last one. I really really love their new album, and the other one that I really really love is Taylor Swift's latest one and she writes the most incredible lyrics and lyrics that really make me feel. And one of her songs, "Tis the Damn Season," actually is part of the inspiration for the book I've just written. So 
anyway. <laughs> Amazing. Well, much like you, my uh, my niece is traveling uh, with my with my sister to go see Taylor Swift in a couple of weeks. So they're doing a little journey just like you oh, did. So wow. I'm sure I will get many, Very many text messages about it. Yeah, uh, this was so much fun. Paige, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's been really great to chat to you. <laughs> Passions and Prologues is proud to be an evergreen podcast and was created by Adam Sokol. It was produced by Adam Sokol and Sean Rule Hoffman. And if you are interested in this podcast and any other evergreen podcast, you can go to evergreenpodcast.com to discover all the different stories we have to tell. Bonjour. This is Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. I'm Andrew Pryor, and every week I bring you the wonderful and fabulous people involved in French food, whether they're here in France like me or from around the world. Each week, we dive into a specific topic, be it a French dish, an ingredient, or a French cuisine cooking technique. My guests are all about French food, so come join me on... Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. Bon app.